0: Good morning to everyone here at Christchurch and to those watching online. My name's Jan Tate and um, together with my husband Chris we've been part of this lovely church for the last six years. I don't know how many of you watched Prince Philip's funeral recently. Shall I take this away? (laughs) Um, It took place at Windsor Castle in the magnificent St. George's Chapel. It was a very wonderful and moving occasion. And I was captivated by it. And also the beautiful music and readings. But I also noticed the lovely carvings and the paintings and the stained glass windows. And then it dawned on me, a few days later, this was the very same place that had been ruined by a fire nearly 30 years ago. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It had been so beautifully restored. And one of my abiding memories at the time was the image of the Queen standing at a distance, watching this historic building burn. And in that speech, if you listen to it, of Christmas 1992, she said that she'd had an annus horribilius A horrible year. Not only had three of her children's marriages broken down, but the fire had damaged her wonderful home. But wow, what an amazing restoration had taken place. And today we're going to be looking at other ruins and continuing our series in the book of Nehemiah called God's Rebuilding. And it's the story of how a faithful Jewish man living in exile was moved by the Holy Spirit to give up his wonderful, steady, comfortable job in the palace and give his all to go and rebuild the ruins of the city of Jerusalem. And I think there are some parallels with our situation now as we start reconnecting with more of our communities, our families, our church, our gathered worship as we get back to normal life, whatever that's going to look like. We also are called to the task of rebuilding. And I pray that God will speak to our hearts about that today. By way of context, um, Thea covered um, a bit of history last week, so I'm not going to go into that. But Babylon had invaded and captured the city of Jerusalem. And the temple had been burnt and the people of God had been scattered. And Nehemiah had been born into captivity and had actually never seen Jerusalem. But this city was where he had roots, where his ancestors were buried. And he had heard from visitors who would come back with a report that the city was decimated and the people were being badly treated. And so we saw last week how Nehemiah prayed an audacious prayer, asking God to give him favour. In asking the king if he could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the ruins, he fasted, he wept, he repented, he interceded, and he prayed his heart out day and night. And now, this morning, as we go into chapter two, I've prayed about two questions that have come to my mind from this passage. Firstly, to ask, What are the ruins that we weep over? And secondly, How do we take hold of? How do we seize those opportunities that arise? So firstly, what are the ruins that we weep over? Thea asked a similar question last week, didn't she, in a slightly different way. What is breaking your heart? You see, Nehemiah had never been sad in front of the king before. Servants were always expected to be very professional, put on a happy face, whatever they felt, to smile through gritted teeth because he could have lost his job as a result. The king had to be protected from sadness. But he was so overwhelmed that I think the king caught him in an unguarded moment and his face was sad and he thought perhaps he was ill. Don't you find it extraordinary that Nehemiah felt so deeply about a place he had never been to? But you see, I don't think it was just about the broken walls and gates, but what they signified. It was all about God's glory, and he cared about that. God's name was being dishonoured, and his people were being treated terribly. And so what are the ruins that we see in our world? I hardly know where to start, but to mention just a few. Well, we all know that over 3.3 million people have died so far worldwide during this terrible pandemic including 127,000 in our own country. So much suffering, so much heartache, so much bereavement. And who can fail to be moved by the horrific images we've seen in India of people not being able to get hospital care because they're overwhelmed? And I think the pandemic has brought into sharp contrast, contrast the social, economic and racial divides in our world And some of us have perhaps been gripped by those issues. It's great that we're having conversations, isn't it, in our pastorates about race and racism. Or maybe it's finance. 40% of people have seen their disposable income decrease. And the government itself has an eye-watering debt to repay after rightly supporting so many people. Or for me, something that troubles me greatly is the massive mental health issues particularly disturbing trends among young people. (laughs) At the start of the pandemic, I trained as a telephone support counsellor, and it's given me a window into seeing how many people have struggled with despair, loneliness, and suicidal thoughts. And I came across this quote as I was preparing this sermon. It really spoke to me. You will never rebuild the walls unless you first weep over the ruins. You will never rebuild the walls unless you first weep over the ruins. And I want to give you a little example of this. Many of you know my husband Chris is CEO of a charity called Cry. And it was founded by a pastor called Martin Dunsford. The story is that in the 1990s, he was visiting Romania. On on his way back to the hotel in the evening... He witnessed the most heartbreaking scenes of young children under the age of 10. And they were literally starving and had nowhere to sleep. I think the AIDS epidemic was rife at the time, and many of them were orphans. And they were trying to find warmth during the night and were even going into the drains to find some warmth. And Martin went back to his hotel room that evening and subsequent evenings and he sat on his bed and he cried and he cried and he realized that that wasn't enough his tears weren't enough that God was calling him <clears throat> to start a charity to help these young children and it's wonderful because he's now working in 35 different countries in the world looking after the poorest of the poor and that came from his tears And I was really interested to hear that um, Nicky Gumbel, who many of you will know that name, he started the Alpha Course. I think he he, um, was the writer of it originally. I was interested to hear that it was this very same passage that he was preaching on. And God spoke to him about the state of the church. And he changed from being um, a lawyer to a minister in the Church of England. and He decided to devote his whole life to do what he could to build the church. You see, many times a concern will come over us in a flush and then quickly pass. But compassion isn't just feeling sorry about something. It leads to action. And there's a danger in our society. We're bombarded with so much news. The horrors of war, famine and poverty. And maybe we can become a bit like a neighbour of mine who said to me the other day, I just don't want to watch or listen to anything anymore. I don't want to know. It's too depressing. But we do need to know. And the subsequent rebuilding that happened was because Nehemiah's heart was broken by the things that were on God's heart. What is breaking our hearts? Is anything breaking our hearts? God is calling us to do something about that area. And secondly, are we taking hold of opportunities that arise? We read at the beginning of the passage today, one day in April, four months later. Let's stop there. That's so important. Four months later, what happened in chapter two? Only happened because of what happened in chapter one. There were tears, there was fasting, there was repentance and intercession and urgent petitioning. And many of us want answers to prayer quickly, don't we? But waiting time, as Nehemiah found out, doesn't have to be wasted time. So Nehemiah, we see here, was serving the king his wine. What a nice job, you might say. But as a cupbearer, you had to taste the wine before the king did, just in case it was poisoned. So it wasn't perhaps such a good job after all. But the king trusted him with his life. And there came this moment that we read about where he could hide his grief no longer and it just spilled out. And the king asked him, why so sad? And so that right moment, that opportunity came and Nehemiah was ready. The moment he had prayed and longed for, here it was. And he responded and seized that opportunity. He sent up a narrow prayer, basically help We do that sometimes, don't we, when we haven't had time to pray and we suddenly get landed in a situation. Well, off he went and did he go for it. Ignoring the risk, because you just don't ask things of a king. It's always the other way around. But he did. He asked to go and rebuild the walls. He asked for the materials too, and everything that he would need, as well as safe passage. How audacious and bold a big ask. And having seized that moment, things could have gone horribly wrong. But the king gave him everything and more besides. When you kneel before the king of heaven, you can stand before any ruler on earth. And Jesus, the king of heaven, he encourages us to ask big. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And the book of James says, you don't have because you don't ask. I'm bad at asking, but God wants us to ask. I love that song that we sometimes sing, our God is a great big God. And God is able to do far above anything that we can ask or think. So if there's things in our hearts that we need, let's be bold and ask for them. For the world, for our community, for our church, for our family. And Nehemiah himself became the answer to his own prayers. You see, his compassion resulted in action. Compassion is love in action. And perhaps we too can become the answer to our own prayers. I know many of the women here will have um, been at the Flourish meeting online on the 5th of May, and we heard a wonderful talk from a lady called Tracy Sickle, who had compassion for women in prison and felt there was very little ministry going on in that area. And she started an amazing work, and actually goes into the prison, as I know some of you do as well, in Send, along with other places. And then the pastor that I mentioned earlier on, Martin, who um, travelled to Romania and started the uh, charity Cry. I just wanted to tell you a very quick story of one of the things that happened in one of the projects that he runs. There's this little girl called Vin, there's a picture up of her now, and that's Martin with her. Her parents had many children, and they got to the stage where they actually had no money left at all, and the children were on the point of starvation. And they took a really horrific decision to sell one of their children for bags of rice. And this was this little girl that you see, Vin. And some while later, Uh, Martin's projects came across this little girl and they bought her with a ransom and gave her back to her family. But a few um, years later, both parents had died. And there she was on her own again, an orphan. And again, the project was able to place her with a Christian family. And the family you see on the other side of the screen is the family that love her now as their daughter. What a precious story. Moves me every time I tell it. So many of us have been stirred by some of the ruins I mentioned earlier. We may not have been involved in doing something like this, starting a charity or some great work, but I know many of you have been involved in vitally important work closer to home. Volunteering at food banks, vaccination centres, starting WhatsApp groups, help, helping elderly neighbours, buying prescriptions for people who can't get to the shops. So many things, and that's so brilliant. But Thea mentioned last week that maybe some of us have slipped into the trap during this pandemic and have turned inwards. We've become independent and self-sufficient and perhaps disengaged from church life. And as we finish, I just felt God may want to soften our hearts today to help us see what he sees. There are so many ruins in this world. Which ruins are we going to sign up to rebuild? And in a moment, we're going to be listening to a song, and there's a line in it that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. These are such challenging times, yes, but exciting ones too. There are so many opportunities to build the church, engage with the community and families. And God is not here to condemn us, but to encourage us. I heard recently the two most important days in our lives are the days we were born and the day we found out why. God has a purpose for each of us. And Nehemiah's testimony, as he moved from praying and weeping, then finally building, was this. The gracious hand of my God was on me. And God will likewise give us the grace to carry out the task he calls us to. So brothers and sisters, let's rise up and get building. Amen. Let's pray. Nehemiah had it made in the king's palace, yet we have seen how he was moved by the Spirit of God to leave his comfortable life, to rebuild the city of God and renew the faith of the people of God. And so, Lord, we ask, if, softness and, uh, if hardness and apathy has crept into our lives, that you will soften us and help us to see things as you see them. Thank you that you have called us your co-workers and that we can be part of rebuilding so many different ruins that we see around us. Um, i suggest that we stay seated. I've asked if we could have the song Hosanna and there's this line that I mentioned. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And as we listen to this song, I just pray that God will touch you again and help you to rebuild where you need to and respond with a soft heart.